Hallelujah. Well, I'm going to get into my message. I've been sharing about our biblical roots in the Tanakh. And if you don't know what the Tanakh is, it's basically what's the Old Testament. But the correct term would be Tanakh, which would be the the Torah and the prophets and um, the Ketuvim, the letters. And, um, and, and I've been, I started this last week, and this is part two of a message. I want to talk about the cross in the Tanakh. And let me just, when I first started having revelation about the cross, I mean, I've been saved for a lot of years, but I didn't really understand the cross. And, and when I started to have revelation of the, the depth and the meaning of the cross, and I was so on fire for it. It was like being born again, again. And I remember the first Messianic congregation that I went into and, and I was asked to share and I was teaching on the cross. Cause that's, I, I play one string guitar that in my life. That's it. And it's the cross. It is. I don't have anything else to share. I don't think Paul did either come to think of it, but I remember talking about the cross and then I thought, well, you know, this is, went pretty good. I thought it was a pretty good message. And then afterwards, this lady came up to me and rebuked me for using the term the cross because this is a Messianic congregation. We don't use that term, the cross. We use the tree or the stake. And um, so I'm, you know, I struggled with that because, you know, I know that the cross to a Jew, it's, it's offensive. It, it can be. And it has been used, as a matter of fact, when the crusaders, when they would come into the Holy Land, you know what was on their shield? It was the cross. And so the crusaders were called the men of the cross. And they're not looked very kindly on by the Jewish people. So understand they have a problem with the cross, but I don't want us to be offended by the word, the cross, whether I use the term the cross or the stake or the tree. It's not a symbol. I talked about this last week. It's not a symbol. It's the reality. It's the truth of Yeshua's birth, life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. So when I'm talking about the cross or the tree, that's what I'm referring to. And that's what I want to talk about today because I really believe in the centrality of the cross in our life. It's the most transformative event in human history. Some people will say, well, World War II was the most transformative event or the Civil War or whatever. But I say, no, it was the cross was the most transformative event in, in human history. It was prophesied from the foundation of the world. What the ancients looked forward to for thousands of years. It's the one event that every human must make a decision in regards to. Think about that. You can make a decision, you know, I mean, it doesn't matter if you decide what's for lunch today. Somebody else will decide that for you. Or even where you live, that's important, stuff like, but every person, every human needs to make a decision about the cross of Yeshua. It's something we look back to, the finished work of Yeshua. When we talk about healing, we're talking about looking back to the finished work of Yeshua to bring that healing. When we talk about salvation, we're talking about the finished work of Yeshua on the cross to bring that salvation. 
believe it is the very power of God and it is revealed entirely in the Tanakh. And I shared this last week. And we're going we're gonna to get more into it and finish it in Isaiah chapter 53. And Paul says something very interesting in 1 Corinthians 1.18. He said, the cross, it's the power of God, yes, but it's also foolishness to the, to the unbeliever. The cross is foolishness. It makes no sense. It goes against all human logic, the cross. And that's why it's so important that we have revelation of its true depth and meaning. The Torah scholars and the Jewish leaders in the day of Yeshua expected a Messiah would come and he would overthrow the Roman Empire would establish the kingdom of God in Jerusalem then. That was their understanding of what was going to happen. And you know what? Yeshua came in and he brought his kingdom into earth when he came. But it wasn't what so many of my people expected. They expected a violent overthrow of the Roman Empire. Get the bums out of here. And that Yeshua was going to set up his throne right then in Jerusalem. It wasn't that way. He went into, it was, a, it was a, an exchange of kingdoms, kingdom rule. His kingdom of heaven came down and, and is now sitting and in in, in living in our hearts. You know, Yeshua, Jesus didn't suffer the cross just to save us from hell and to take us to heaven. It's a very popular Christian theology that, and I believe this for a lot of years, that the reason why Jesus went to the cross was to save me, which is true. There's nothing untrue about that. It's absolutely true. But it doesn't just stop there. He doesn't save me just so that I can, okay, make it through this life and then go to heaven. Not at all. We're missing the cross if we think that's what it's about. See, the cross is all about Yeshua destroying Satan's power it's all about Yeshua taking back authority and giving it to us. That's the fullness of the cross. And you know what? Even the devil knew that he was defeated that day at the cross. He knew it. Didn't stop him from his evil schemes. Still hasn't stopped him from his evil schemes. But he knew on that early morning, whether it was a Sunday morning, when Yeshua came out of that tomb, the devil said, man, it's over for me. It's over. It's finished. And it's important for us to understand that. See, I think a, a lot of the problem today is that we don't understand the power of the cross. The devil does. He has no authority left. Yeshua ripped it out of his hands and gave it to us. And we need to walk in that authority. And the devil knows that, but he'll go around saying, no, Devorah, you don't have that authority anymore. No, 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 no. Luann, you don't have that authority. You don't have that. You can't do that. Oh, look at your life. You can't do that. See, the enemy, all he has is the lie to go and speak to our, and to speak into our heads, to speak into our minds, to bring stinking thinking into our thinking. We need to know the power of the cross 
The reason why Yeshua, why the cross of Yeshua is so important is because we, through it, we live a transformed lives that can bring his good news to planet Earth. It's not about us. And see, the cross is, is not about us becoming better or uh, because we're saved. But it's about us being radically changed, becoming a new creation. There's an exchange that took place. The old Stu is gone. He is gone. The old Lori is gone, dead, buried forever. You're a new creation in Messiah Yeshua. That's what it's not about. It's not about I become a little bit better. I become new. And when we start understanding that, we begin to live differently. The cross empowers us to bring the good news of salvation, healing, deliverance, resurrection, reconciliation to every people group, to every tongue, to every nation. It's not just to sit here and go, wow, that was good. Oh, I love to just... It's not just about us. And see, this is the whole thing with kingdom. Kingdom is not just about, well, it's just me and you. It's just me and you, Jesus. No. The kingdom is, is him. The kingdom is in here, okay? But we need to bring that everywhere we go. Bring a little bit more kingdom. And I'm not one of these people that believe, believes that kingdom is here now in its fullness. I believe that the kingdom is here, but not in its fullness, not completely yet. But we have a responsibility to bring more of the kingdom into whatever we're doing, wherever we're at. Whether we're working in a school or in a, uh, a manufacturing company or, or, what, or into our families. So with that introduction, if you would turn to Isaiah 53, and we're going to walk through these verses here and i'm going to be using a lot of scriptures today so you might think i'm belaboring the point but that's okay you can think that i probably am belaboring belaboring the point i'm going to keep on doing that like i said i've only got one string to play isaiah 53 verse 6 and we you know what i'm going to read starting in verse 1 because we read this last week um and um but i'm going to read it all the way all of isaiah 53 can we do that, guys? Can we get all of Isaiah 53 up there? Who has believed our report? To whom is the arm of, the, of Adonai revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form of majesty or majesty that we should look at him, nor beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our pains, yet we esteemed him stricken, struck by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities. The chastisement for our shalom was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. And now, verse 6, I think you guys should have that. Technical difficulties. Well, then just read along with me. If you have your Bible, just open it up and read with me. Isaiah 53, 6. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. So Adonai has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter. Like a sheep before its shearers is silent, 
so he did not open his mouth. Because of oppression and judgment, he was taken away. As for his generation, who considered? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression, for the transgression of my people, the stroke was theirs. His grave was given with the wicked and by a rich man in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased Adonai to bruise him. He caused him to suffer. If he made his soul a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days. And the will of Adonai will succeed by his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied by his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, will make many righteous, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion with the great, and he will divide the spoil with the mighty, because he has poured out his soul to death and was counted with transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. Wow. It's a vivid description of the cross. And this is written 700 years before it actually took place. Not just a description of the cross, but the results of the cross. Sometimes we, we focus on what happened at the cross that day 2,000 years ago. But what we also need to look at is the results of that that are still being brought into this world and into our lives today. Verse 6, very short. It says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us turned to his own way. So Adonai has laid on him the iniquity of us all. A very short encompassing definition of sin. One of the Hebrew words for sin is chata, chata, which simply means to go astray, missing the mark. Sin is missing the mark. And it's interesting. The word Torah Anybody know what the root of Torah is? Anybody? Remember what the root of the Hebrew word of Torah? Yorah. Yorah. Which is an archer's term. You know, bow and arrow. When the archer takes back and he, and he lets loose of that arrow and it hits the mark, Yorah. See, Torah is hitting the mark. Sin is missing the mark. Interesting. Jeremiah, the prophet in chapter 2, he says, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they dug their own cisterns, cracked cisterns that hold no water. Has anybody ever done that before? You've kind of forsaken God. You've kind of gone your own way, and, 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 and you start digging your own. You ever dig into a rock, solid rock? You know, that's pretty hard work. That's what it was. The implication to that sin is not following God's teaching. If, if Torah is the instructions of God, hitting the mark, then sin is missing the mark and not following the Lord's teaching. His teachings are not burdensome. Sometimes we're taught that they are burdensome. You can't do this. Not true. Not true. Verse 7. 
Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. It predicts, this verse predicts the Messiah's lamb-like, lamb-like quiet submission, not saying a word. How many of us, when you're attacked, especially for no reason, what's your initial reaction? What do you want to do? Retaliate, defend yourself. You know, like I said, I admire President Trump. I don't agree. Sometimes he makes you feel uncomfortable, right? You know, because something, no, he doesn't make me feel. Because anytime somebody attacks him, he's defending himself, really, right? Away. But Yeshua was not like that. He was like a lamb being led to the slaughter. It's quiet, never said a word. Being accused of everything, being accused of the worst thing a Jew can be accused of, blasphemy, and yet remain silent. Mark chapter 15, verse 3. Mark 15, verse 3. The ruling Kohanim, the priests, began to accuse him of many things. Again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? Look how many charges they're, they're bringing against you. But Yeshua did not answer. Pilate was amazed. You're being accused of the worst things that anybody can be accused of, and you say nothing, and you're given an opportunity, and you still say nothing to fulfill what God had spoken to the prophet Isaiah 700 years before, a lamb-like quiet submission. And we see his death as a, as a slain lamb, portrayed as a lamb, and this is the same lamb that is extolled in heaven. Re turn with me to Revelation chapter 6. Or, excuse me, Revelation chapter 5, starting in verse 6. Revel I love this passage of Scripture. And I'm going to read it to you. And, and actually, I just, I don't, you can read along with it or you can just close your eyes and listen to this. And in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, I saw a lamb standing as having been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of the one seated on the throne. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the Kedoshim. And they are singing a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you redeemed for God those from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them for our God a kingdom in Kohanim and they shall reign upon the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. Their number was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. They were chanting with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and, and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and everything in them responding 
to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is a vivid picture of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation worshiping the Lamb that was slain. And it emphasizes the Lamb that was slain. Because of his death, we are worthy. He was worthy to open the scrolls. What a powerful... This is what we have to look forward. We're going to all go, whoa, worthy, worthy, worthy. Kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Mm. So think on that for a while, okay? Verse 8. 53.8. Because of oppression and judgment, he was taken away. As for his generation, who considered... For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people. The stroke was theirs. And it's interesting. Turn also to Acts chapter 8. You know the story of Philip is out there. You know, this is, this is after all the things took place in Jerusalem, actually quite a bit after. And, and he's down there and going towards Gaza, and he comes across this Ethiopian eunuch, probably heading back to Ethiopia. As a matter of fact, I know he was heading back, heading back to Ethiopia because he brought the good news and, and brought that good news to Ethiopia. But he's reading this scripture, this very passage of scripture. Acts chapter 8, verse 32, it says, Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearers is silent, we just read that, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who shall recount his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch replied to Philip, Please tell me who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else. I would love to have people who are reading the word come and say, Can you please explain this to me? I need to know. Tell me what it means today. But he was reading this and nobody explained what it was. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scriptures, he proclaimed the good news about Yeshua. And as he proclaimed this, the, the, the eunuch received the good news, and he went back to his home, and he preached that good news wherever he went. You see, the good news leads to salvation. He was baptized and went to Ethiopia, and who knows where Philip went. All of a sudden, he's gone. He's, he's transported somewhere else. But he was talking about that very passage of scripture in Isaiah 53. Again, we see a picture of a substitutionary atonement. Who is he talking about? A prophet or somebody else? And it says in that scripture, it says that for the transgression of my people, the stroke was theirs. In other words, it was the people that deserved it, but their transgression was upon him. You know, that kind of shoots holes in the rabbinic argument that doesn't refer to Yeshua, you know, but, but to Israel. You know, that passage of Scripture, and I shared this last week, that Isaiah 53, to many Jews in, in Orthodoxy and in, in conservative and Reformed Judaism, they don't see Isaiah 53 as referring to the Messiah. They see it referring to Israel. But this particular passage it's impossible to put Israel in that position. First of all, Israel was not cut off from the land of the living. It was talking about a man. 
This can refer only to a man. Also, how could Israel redeem itself? Only a man. Only a man. And yet, fully God, fully man, can redeem anybody, including Israel. So it wasn't talking about Israel at that point. Verse 9. His grave was given with the wicked and by a rich man in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. See, this would be a hard, if you, if you, if you don't have the life of Yeshua to gauge, this would be a hard prophecy. What does that mean? He was judged with the wicked, but yet his rich, rich man, in the, given to a rich man in his death. What does this, all of this mean? Well, we see this in Matthew chapter 27, verse 44. It says, even the outlaws who were executed with him. So he was executed with outlaws. He was treated as a criminal. Even the outlaws who were executed with him were ridiculing him in the same way. Matthew 27 and verse 57. Now when it was evening, there came a, a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had also become a disciple of Yeshua. This man went to Pilate and asked for Yeshua's body. Then Pilate ordered it to be taken, taken up, to be given up. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth. And he laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. This is something you don't do for a criminal. And yet it was prophesied 700 years before that this would take place. I don't think Joseph said, oh, this is, i got to make this happen. I just see, because he was a follower and he loved Yeshua, he says, I want to give to him what was mine. Then Joseph took the body and wrapped it in clean linen, and he laid it in his own tomb, which he had cut in the rock. Then he rolled a large stone up to the door of the tomb and went away. Specific fulfillment of a Tanakh prophecy from 700 years earlier. God is faithful to, to, the, to the minuscule. If God has promised you something, you hold on. I'm not going to say it's, it may be 700 years before it's fulfilled. But just to say this, when God says something, when God covenants with people, when he promises, he keeps his promises. Keep, keep trusting him. Keep trusting him, especially in these days. We'll move on to verse 10. Yet it pleased Adonai to bruise him. And this is an interesting verse because we're talking about he and him. And they're both talking about God, he and him. Listen to this. Yet it pleased Adonai to bruise him. He caused him to suffer. If he makes his soul a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the will of Adonai will succeed by his hand. It could be a little confusing if you don't see Yeshua in this. If you don't see that God is a loving father. His son Yeshua came for that purpose as the lamb. As John said, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we know that the Ruach HaKodesh, the spirit is living in us, God in three persons. The father, and it's interesting, because what, what do we glean from this verse? The father is the one who bears ultimate responsibility for Yeshua's death. Why do I say that? It wasn't the Romans. Oh, they were his vehicles 
that God used, God the Father used, and it wasn't the Jews. It wasn't the Jews. The scripture in Psalm 118, verse 22, verse 23, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. It is from Adonai. It is marvelous in our ways. In Psalm 69, verse 27, it says, and this is, um, and this is the verse 27 in the Tree of Life version, for they persecute the one you have smitten, so they tell of the pain of those you have wounded. Yeshua understood that it was his father's will that he suffer and die. Yeshua didn't blame the Romans. didn't blame the Jewish people. He knew what he came to do. We see this in John chapter 18, verse 11. So Yeshua said to Peter, but the sword in, put, the sword into the, put the sword into the sheath. The cup the Father has given me, shall I never drink it? He knew that this mission that he was on came from his Father. And the reason why I talk about this is because through the centuries, my people, the Jewish people, have been accused of being Christ killers. The root of anti-Semitism. Ah, these people killed God. They killed the Messiah. They killed Christ. And you say, well, that's crazy. And you can actually read scriptures where Yeshua said, nobody took his life. He laid his life down because he knew what, is, what was before him. But you see how anti-Semitism, you know, if you were in Germany in the 1930s and early 1940s, this is what you would hear. The Jews, they don't deserve to live. Christ killers. And actually, you've heard that from church fathers going back four or 500, 600 years. I don't have time to read scripture or to read some of their writings about what they thought of the Jewish people. It was the Jewish people, they say, who killed the Messiah. And for that, they should be ever cursed. I've seen that, and, I, and if I told you who those people were, you would be surprised. Fathers of the church. Also, we see in this verse, in verse, verse 10, that it hints at his resurrection after the cross with the term, he will prolong his days. It talks about his death, but then it says he will prolong his days. And that hints at resurrection. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, I want to finish off and with these last couple of verses, verses 11 and 12. Isaiah 53. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied by his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, the Messiah. We learned about this last week. The, the righteous one, the Messiah, or the servant is also the Messiah. He will make many righteous and he will bear their iniquities. I want to read that again. The righteous one, my servant, will make many righteous and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion with the great and he will divide the spoil with the mighty because he poured out his soul to death and was counted with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. Here again, a picture of a substitutionary atonement. We couldn't atone for ourselves. God had to come in the flesh, Emmanuel, 
to die for us, fully God and yet fully man. The one that would die for the many. And because of the cross, it says righteousness is imparted to many. And this is where a lot of us don't understand it. And yet Paul talks about this. And I want to refer to what Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 17. He says, for if by the one man's transgression, who is the one man that he's talking about here? Adam. Adam rebelled against God, took of the forbidden fruit. I have my own theory about what the fruit was, but I won't get into that today. It's a silly, it's a silly theory. But because of what happened to Adam, all of us have sinned. All of us were condemned. All of us were cut off. You say, well, that's not fair. Adam did it. I wasn't there. But you were in him. There's something that's very, that we have to understand. We are in Adam when we're born into this world. And in Adam, all must die. So let me get back to this. For if by the one man's transgression, Adam, death reigned through the one man, Adam, how much more shall those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one Messiah Yeshua? Now, if it's a gift of righteousness, what do you have to do to earn it, Luann? Nothing. Receive it. Receive it. And then the more we understand that gift and who it was that gave us that gift, I don't want to act unrighteously. I don't want, I want to grow up in him. I want to live my life solely for him. So then, go back to the scripture in Romans chapter 5. So then, through the transgression of one man, Adam, condemnation came to all men. Likewise, through the righteousness of one came righteousness of life to all men. That's imparted righteousness. It doesn't say that he sees us as if we're righteous, but we're really not. He just sees us as if, you know, but we're really not because, you know, he knows what you did last night, Devorah. He knows what you did yesterday. No, it's like, no, it's an imparted righteousness. It's not like, it does, it's not like, uh, you know, he looks at us through Yeshua colored glasses. No, he imparts righteousness in you. We are made righteous. We are made righteous. And that's why the old person, the old self had to die. You know, we, we, where we, Go through immersion to show that's what happened to me. I died. When I came out, I've been resurrected and I'm living a life new. Okay, we need to understand that. That is the power. That's the truth of the cross. Yeshua himself recognizes Isaiah 53 as a picture of his own death. He sees it and we see this in Luke chapter 22, verse 37. For I tell you that this which is written must be fulfilled in me. And he was counted with the lawless for what is written about, about me is being fulfilled. So he refers back to Isaiah 53. Worship team, if you can come on up, come on up here. Getting ready to, to close. Why am I belaboring this for the third time? It's because that's the only string I got on my guitar. No, because I believe it's the most important message it's the message of the cross, the message of Yeshua. And through that cross, we are able to have intimacy with Yeshua. We're talking about 
the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark, and, and, and coming in through that, the, the curtain into that Holy of Holies, that's that place of his presence. And it's through the cross that we're able to have that, that access into the place of his presence. Because of the cross, we are called. Because of the cross, we are called and equipped to live differently in this world. You hear me again? We are called to live differently in this world. Rabbit trail. I, oh, yeah, question? Okay. Um, there is a Hebrew word for it. I, I'll have to find it, but it's, I don't know if it's the way. But it, 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 is, it is the way in, that's for sure. But there is a Hebrew word. The Hebrew word for the veil, do you know, Kent? Parochet? Parochet. Parochet. Check that out. Parochet. Yeah. Um, so, we are called and equipped to live differently in this world. And what I was saying is that I occasionally go on Facebook. I don't post a whole lot, but I go on there and I see. And I see people who are posting things and they're like, wow, they're not living any differently than any... And they're believers. They're not living any differently than anybody else. I'm like, no, we are called to live differently. We see this in First Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 21. It says, through him you are believers in God so that your trust and hope are in God. Love one another fervently from a pure heart. You have been born again through the living and enduring word of God. How are we to live? How are we to live? That's a question that requires an answer. First of all, we are to live as free people where sin no longer controls us. I go into prisons... And you could say, well, those people aren't free. They're in prison. And yes, they are in prison. But you know what? They are free. They're free inside. They don't have to sin. They're free to live a life free of sin while they're in there. They're paying for their sins, yes. But we are called to live as free people where sin no longer controls us. I love, this is one of my favorite verses in Romans chapter 6, verse 11. And so, also, so also continually count yourself both dead to sin and alive to God in Messiah Yeshua. Continuously count yourself dead to sin and alive to God. And I think the more we count ourselves dead to sin and alive to God, we will, less, we will sin less. I don't believe in sinless perfection. I believe that we all fall. We all blow it. But I do believe that the power of sin has been destroyed in us. We don't have to sin. We choose to sin. Does that make sense? You're not going to stone me yet, are you? Because I really believe this. When we understand the righteousness that has been imparted into us, we will walk as free people, free from sin. Secondly, as people, how are we to walk? As people with a hope that sustains us. Of all people. We're to have a hope that sustains us. Hope propels us into a life of optimism where we're able to trust his promises. Yes, Joyce, to see through Yeshua-colored glasses. To see optimistically. I'm not naturally 
an optimist, Millie will tell you. I'm not a pessimist, I'm a realist. Which means sometimes you're a pessimist. But I'm learning to live through the hope that we have in Yeshua because of the cross. That whatever you're going through, you know, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. For we know that all things, all things, cancer, heart attacks, all things work together for those who, for the good, for those who love and are called according to its purposes. But it requires us seeing, our, seeing the situation through the cross. Thirdly, how are we to live as people who honor one another because of intrinsic value that each of us has in us because of Yeshua? Turn to the person next to you. Literally. I mean it. Turn to the person next to you. And just say, I honor you because you have value. I honor you because you have value. There's nobody next to you. I honor you because you have value. And that value is not based on what you do for me, not based on how, how rich you are or how smart you are. It's because, God, you are a creation. You're created in his image. And his presence is living in you. And that should propel us to honor one another. And lastly, as we're called to live as people who are victorious. There is a grievance industry of victimhood in our culture. They, Patricia, did things not go well for you yesterday? Well, it's not your fault. It's them over there. They made you do that. No, they went, nah, picked the wrong person. <laughs> Today we live in a culture that says it's, it's your fault. That, that it's not your fault. We live in a culture that says it's, it's, it's your fault that I'm the way I am. I'm a victim. We live in a culture that says I can't change. This is just who I am. We live in a culture that says you made this way so you owe me. And see, that's the bottom line is this whole victim thing is that you're saying somebody or something owes you because of all your problems in life. And that takes away the value. That takes away the whole meaning of the cross of Messiah. Messiah, you made me this way, so you owe me. Would you stand with me as we prepare to go into a time of worship? <clears throat> we are not called to live as victims, powerless over every situation that we're facing called to walk victoriously, not because we're so good, but because of the finished work of Yeshua, because of the finished work of Yeshua. So, Father, in the name of Yeshua, I just want to just break off victimization. Lord, I just want to break off for those who struggle with seeing themselves as somebody who could never change. Well, I was just born this way, or it's from the family I came in, or it's because I didn't get educated enough, or it's because I was born in Bakersfield instead of Beverly Hills. Lord, break off from your 
bride, from your children, sons and daughters of God, any sense that we're powerless. Father, I pray that you would impart into them the righteousness you've already imparted into us. Give us revelation of how you see us, equipped for everything that comes against us. Equipped, not a victim. With authority, authority that you bought on the cross by your blood, by your punishment, Lord. Lord, that we would walk in that authority. I pray this in Yeshua's name for each of us, Lord God. Lord, show us when we're acting as victims. Show us when we're expecting something from somebody that they cannot give to us. You've already given everything that we need, Lord. Help us to see that. I pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. We go into a time of, of worship now. And, and our worship here at Orchaim is a time when we bring our tithes, bring the Lord's tithe to him, and our offerings. And we have a couple of baskets up here because we really believe that giving is, is, a, is an act of worship. We have a couple of baskets up here, but also the box, the pushkan in the back. If you feel more comfortable going to the back. And let's just enter into a time of just rejoicing in the hope that we have in Yeshua. So, Father, we thank you for your presence here, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you are... Thank you for your blood. Lord, there's power in that blood. There's authority in that blood. We thank you for coming as that servant, the Messiah, who took the stroke that I deserved, who took the piercing I deserved, that we all deserved, took it upon yourself. And the Father was, was pleased, and I don't understand that, but it says the Father was pleased. And Lord, that through that we would have intimacy with you, and through that we would have relationship with you. So, Lord, we bless you in Yeshua's name. So let's worship him. Let's give him to the Lord this morning. Let's enjoy him. Sister Jan a word in the middle of the week. Jan, you want to come and bring that forth? Mm -hmm. 